turn there uh, as Oscar mentioned earlier you know we're we're uh, postponing the the vision Sunday because of the, the rising cases and things um, but there is one announcement that I wanted to make uh, because I didn't want to wait and there's there's a lot of exciting things happening this year but one of them we, we really want to let the cat out of the bag officially but we are as a church going to be planting a church this year so we're very excited uh, Brian McDonald and his wife Ella and their family are, are in the back there, and, and many of you have been around Strong Tower for a while. You, you've met the McDonalds, and Brian has preached here a couple times. Um, but they are planting a church in Bartow, and their hope is about a year from now to launch public services. So maybe a little sooner, a little later, but somewhere around a year from now. And so we're very excited to come alongside of them and help them do that and to see the gospel uh, come to fruition in that church and to be another blessing for the city of Bartow. Uh, so we're excited, and you can be praying about that. We'll be letting you know a lot more information about that uh, as things go forward the next few weeks and months, and whenever we're able to have the Vision Sunday, we can also talk more about that extensively. But just wanted to let you know and be praying for them as you hear about that, uh, maybe through the Strong Tower Grapevine. Uh, we want you to, to be aware. All right, Proverbs chapter 4. I'm going to do something I've never done before. We're going to preach on just one verse, just one verse, chapter 4, verse 23. Verse 23, hear the reading of God's word. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Amen, amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to tag our text today, personal practices, personal practices. Let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you uh, for your word that you speak to us in it. You give us uh, so much to dwell on, to meditate on, to chew. And so, God, we pray that your word today would go deep into our hearts. As it says, it's a uh, two-edged sword that pierces us. But it pierces us to do surgery that you might heal us. And so we pray you would do that, God. That you would do surgery on our hearts that would transform us from the inside out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's called the Heimlich Maneuver. And the Heimlich Maneuver, if you haven't heard of it, is pretty famous by now. Uh, it's, it's been spreading since the 1970s. I think it was 1974 that it was invented by Dr. Henry Heimlich. And it was invented as a way to save lives from the, the hazard of choking, right? And, and it's been kind of the, the tale, the subject of, of many different politicians and celebrities who've had their life saved in this moment of, of panic. And, and it's actually been documented that hundreds of thousands of people have, have saved their life from the Heimlich Maneuver. And it's interesting that in 2016, Dr. Heimlich himself, he passed away at the age of 96. But that same year that he passed away, something very strange happened. In, in that same year, 2016, he was living at a senior citizen place and, and a lady sitting next to him, as uh, she's eating her meal, she begins to choke on a piece of meat and he runs over 
and or I don't know, maybe he wheeled over, I don't know, but he's 96, he might have shuffled over. But he, uh, he goes over to the woman and he, he does the Heimlich maneuver at 96 years old on this woman and saves her life. But here's the shocking part. It was four decades, more than four decades after he had invented this maneuver, and it was the first time he had ever used it himself. First time. In, in, he was 96 years old. It was, just, it was just a technique for other people. It was never something for him. And we all know what that's like, right? We, we all know where we have gaps sometimes in our life, gaps between what we practice and what we preach Right? I mean, if you've ever given good advice to somebody, you know, a friend who's struggling and they come to you for advice and you, you talk to them and you tell them, you know, this and that, and, and you walk away from the conversation and you're like, man, that was pretty good advice. Maybe I should take that advice. Right? You ever have that happen? Or, or if you got kids and, and you're disciplining your kids and one of them gets in trouble and, and you start talking about the rules in your family and, and they point out that you don't keep the rules of the family. You ever have that happen? Or maybe something else in your life, right? It could be anything, all these gaps. It could be social media. You've got a persona on Instagram of what you've curated for people to see and like and know about you. And the real you is very different. There's a huge gap, right? We've all got gaps. It's all there. And listen, when it comes to following Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus is that you close that gap over time. That following Jesus is not just about believing a set of truths, but it's actually becoming a person. It's becoming somebody different. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And so when we look at this book of Proverbs, Proverbs is all about that kind of life. Proverbs is all about a life that's lived out in your faith. And so really, because Proverbs is about wisdom, right? And do you know the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Did you know that they're not the same thing? They're, they're very distinct. Wisdom is one thing. Knowledge is another. Knowledge is when you, you believe something. Wisdom is when you become something. Knowledge is when you have information. Wisdom is when you're transformed. Right? You, you've, been, you've undergone this transformation. There's, there's a newness in you. There's a difference. And, and so wisdom, if you want a definition of wisdom, wisdom is when you uh, take truth. Right, It's the right application of truth to your complex situation. So whatever the truth may be, or this set of truths, you, you take it and you rightly apply it to whatever the complex everyday situation might be. But here's the thing about Proverbs. People, people who read Proverbs, and it's a very popular book because it's got a lot of wisdom, sometimes we make this mistake where we think Proverbs is a book of promises. Right? Where you, you think Proverbs is, if I do this, I get this. And so Proverbs says, this is how I should act, and then if I act that way, I'll be blessed. And listen, Proverbs is not meant to be taken that way. It's not a book of math equations. It's it's a book of patterns. In other words, Proverbs is meant to say, like, this is how life usually works. This is how life, when you apply the knowledge of the Scriptures and the truth of who God is, when you apply it to complex situations, this is how it usually works. But it doesn't always work this way. Because wisdom says there's, there's complexity, there's, there's difference, there's nuance, there's context. And, and so you have to figure out, how do I apply it for this moment, this situation? And so it's more like patterns. That when you live out your faith, 
your, your trust in the Lord, this is what it could look like. And so today, as we continue our series for the year that we're calling Soul Care, these first couple weeks of the year, uh, we're focusing in on the wisdom of soul care. And, and what I want to talk about is how our church, really, we're, every year we pick a theme or a goal that we're going to try to uh, do together as a church. And this year, our theme is soul care. And so soul care for us means soul care of ourselves, but also of those around us, right? It's meant to be outward focused and inward focused. And so today we're going to be looking at the the inward idea. We're going to be looking at how uh, the book of Proverbs gives us wisdom for this idea of caring for our souls. And as we've gone through these last couple years, I mean, for many of us, it has been exhausting. I mean, it has been exhausting Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it has been a rough season. And so more than any other time in the, in the recent times, we, we might want to slow down and say, how is my soul? And not just how, how is it doing, but, but what am I doing to care for it? How am I giving it the attention it needs and, and, and the, the life that it needs? And so that's what we're going to look at today briefly, and what it's going to be a focus for the whole year is on these practices, these ways of living out our faith that care for our soul. And so the personal practices that I want to look at come from this ancient wisdom of Proverbs. If you're taking notes, I want to answer this question, how do personal practices help us to do soul care? All right, so first we're going to look at the centrality of the heart. If you're taking notes, the first point, the centrality of the heart. Look at verse 23, uh, look in, in really the second half first, look, look what it says. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. I love that because this, this uh, verse comes in the context of the beginning of Proverbs, right? So if you ever read Proverbs, you know that Proverbs opens up with a father speaking to his son and giving him this wise instruction. In other words, he's saying, I've, I've been through some things in my life and, and here's how life usually works. Let me give you some fatherly wisdom as you follow the Lord and, and seek Him with all your heart. And over and over in the book of Proverbs, especially in the beginning, is this theme of the heart. It shows up over and over and over. The, the, the father is saying to the son, you got to pay attention to your heart. And here he says, for from it, he gives a reason. He says, for from it flow the springs of life. I love the King James, the old language. It says, the issues of life the issues of life. The King James just gets right to the point, right? Because the Hebrew is literally saying that it's, it's the starting point. The heart is the source. It, it's the place that everything comes from. Now, this might sound a little strange in Western culture because in Western culture, we, we tend to divide up who we are, right? We, we're people who think, feel, and act. We, we have different parts of us, and, and I might think one way and act another way, or I might feel one way and think another way, right? We kind of divide ourselves up, but, but that's not really a Hebrew mindset. The Hebrew mindset was much more holistic and much more uh, unified in how it viewed the, the human person. And so the Hebrew mindset saw the heart as, as the thing that really unifies us. And so the heart was, was the center of my being. The heart was Literally, who I am is, is, what I, is what's happening in my heart. It's the essence of my personhood. And Jesus had this Hebrew view of the heart. He says in Matthew 12, he says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And again, later in Matthew 15, he says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. 
And this defiles a person, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, and all these things. Right? What Jesus is saying, and, and what all of Scripture testifies to, is that uh, we can't separate who we are from what we do. You can't separate what's in your heart and what comes out in your life. Right? What we do comes from who we are. The two are, are bound together is what Jesus is saying, what Proverbs is saying. They're, they're inseparable. And so as your heart goes, so your whole life will go. That's the principle. As your heart goes, so your whole life will go. There's a river in Yukon, Canada called the Slims River. And for thousands of years, it flowed through the snow-capped mountains. I mean, it was a gorgeous, massive river. And, and then suddenly, one day, it didn't. About five years ago, scientists who were doing research in the area, they noticed that there was this sudden, drastic drop in the river's level, the water level. And so they hop into a helicopter and they fly all the way upstream to go find out what's going on at the beginning of the river. And as they get to the, to the source, they, they look over from the helicopter and they see this huge glacier that has been melting. And, and the glacier is what feeds this river plus another river. And somehow the glacier over time had slowly shifted as it melted, and now the, the route of the flow of the water was going in only one direction and not two. And so, in other words, the, the bigger river kind of stole the water source from the Slims River. And they noticed this was happening, and it was happening rapidly. In fact, so rapidly, four days later, the river was gone. Huge river just disappeared. It's almost like somebody just took the water spigot, right? And they just turned it off. But here's what happens, right? As the source goes, so the river goes. If there's no source, the river dries. And it'll happen like that. See, this is why the Bible is saying that the heart is so central to our soul care. Hear me, right? In other words, as our heart goes, our whole life will go. It's the source that flows into every corner and crevice of our whole life, right? But here's the challenge. It's easier to focus on everything else on the outside, all the outward things, than the inside, right? It's, it's easier to focus on all the outward conduct and circumstances and issues than the inward character of my heart. Because those external problems, they, they cause us a lot of issues right? As the King James says, out of it come the issues of life. We want to focus on the issues. We want to focus on the things that people notice and the things that bring us guilt and shame and the things that make us stand out and maybe feel really bad because we said something we shouldn't have said or we upset somebody and we didn't really mean to do that and, and all these things, right? It's easier to focus on that than the inward issues of the heart the things that we can try to measure and manipulate, the things that draw attention, the things that, that we can try to fix ourselves. And so we get real busy with moralism. We'll start to write out a list, right? This is the time of year where we do it, right? January, we're going to write out a list of all the improvements we want to make in our life. We want to lose 20 pounds. We want to get eight hours of sleep. We want to stop watching Netflix for four hours. We want to, whatever, right? We, we make a list of all the improvements we want to make. And we might even make some progress, right? We might even 
be proud of ourselves that some things got better in our life and, and feel a little bit good. But what, what Proverbs is saying is if we don't deal with the issue of the heart four days later, or however long it takes, the river dries up. The river dries up. Because we never dealt with the source. See, religious people are at the greatest risk. People like you, people like me, people that are in the church, and, and this is why religious people are at the greatest risk, is because we know how to play the game. We know how to come to church and look happy and, and even let people know we're smiling behind a mask. Like, we have figured out how to play the game. And so when people look at the outside, it seems as if everything is fine. It seems like life is okay and, and things are going well. And, and on the inside, we're drying up backstream. There's no source. And so religious people, I mean, if you're not in the church and you haven't been in the church for a while, you don't know to play the game. Like you just bury your sleeve. You're just, you're out there. This is how I live and, and I'm struggling. Can you help me? But church folks, this is why Jesus had some of his strongest warnings to the religious leaders. What did he say? He said, you guys clean the outside of the cup, but you ignore the inside of the cup. He's saying it's, it's, it's the temptation of being so around it, so familiar with it, so, so good at doing all the right things that you miss what's really happening. And there's no source. I mean, what would it look like for you to give attention to your heart in 2022? What would it look like for, for you to say, this is, is what I'm going to focus on? Not, not necessarily outward, but, but the inward. The inward life of my soul. I mean, when was the last time you slowed down long enough to even be aware of what's happening in your soul? Right? We're so busy. We're so anxious. We're going from one thing to the next to the next. It's, it's all of us. We, it's the water we swim in, and so it's hard. It's, it's really difficult. We'll get into that in a second. But, but when was the last time you just slowed down to look at your soul? Because all of the issues of life flow from within. All of our anxiety, all of our worries, all of our gossip, our prejudice, our anger, our bitterness, everything that you and I struggle with, it's, it's there. And it's our arrogance that keeps us ignoring it. And God is inviting us in. This year, this whole year, God, God's inviting us in to, to take a look, to, to attend to it. And so if that's so central, how do we do that? This is the next part. Let's look at the next point, the work of the heart. Look again at this verse. Now I want to look at the first half, uh, verse 23. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Springs of life. Because the heart, right? What he's saying is because the heart is this central hub, because the heart is the place that everything flows from and, and it has this central role that it's not a democracy, it's a monarchy, right? The, the heart is ruling your life. Because of that, keep it. And I love the word keep it because some translations say guarded and they're, they're trying to wrestle with this imagery because in the Hebrew it's, it's really like tend to a garden, to, to try to see the garden flourish. That, that's what it's talking about. And so really what that imagery is saying is, is to tend to a garden means you, you got to nourish it, you got to water it, you got to root up the weeds, you got to till up the soil. You, you have to do the work. 
And what's amazing is he says to do this kind of work with all vigilance. Literally, it's to guard with all the guarding you can guard with. Like that, it's like this super abundance of guarding and guarding and guarding. Like, this is going to take work. The Boston Marathon attracts uh, the world's greatest runners every year. And the winner, of course, is automatically put into like this elite category of, of athlete. And, and so in 1980, in the marathon that year, there was a lady by the name of Rosie Ruiz. And she was the first person to cross the, the finish line that year. And of course, when she crosses the finish line, everybody's celebrating and cheering. And, and she comes up to the front and they, they stand them on the podium. And, and you know, the lights are flashing and cameras are going. And, and she's going to be on the front page of the Boston newspaper that day. And they put this winner's wreath on top of her, right? And she looks stunning. She's excited. And everybody's thrilled about the win. And then people start to look a little closer. And they notice her legs look a little fresh. Like, she doesn't look like she just ran 26 miles. And she doesn't look like she's particularly fit like all the other world-class elite athletes who just crossed the finish line. What, what is going on here? So then they started to dig and ask a little more questions. And a couple days later, they found out there was evidence that she had jumped out of the crowd into the race during the last few moments. And she won the race by jumping in at the last moment and just ran the last couple hundred yards. And no one saw her. No one knew it happened until days later. She cheated. She cheated to win the Boston Marathon because she wanted to win the, the winner's wreath without doing the winner's work. Right? She, she wanted to just jump in at the very last minute after everyone had spent months and months of, of training and preparing and running and then ran 26 miles right to the end. She wanted to just jump in and live as if she was the glorious winner because she didn't want to do the work. Listen, a spiritually healthy heart is hard work. It's hard work. Dallas Willard, an author, once said, he said, grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. You catch that? I mean, it's a common and dangerous misunderstanding among Christians, especially today, I believe, that we have this allergic reaction to any kind of effort, any kind of work. Because we think that somehow the gospel is opposed to work, right? And so we're, let me clarify some things. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved for works. You hear that? We're not saved by works, but we're saved for works. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. You catch that? God is the one who works in you so that then you can work out your salvation. But it's a call for you to work out what he has worked in you. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says it again. For we are his, speaking of God, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Again, God is the one who works upon us. We are his workmanship. In fact, that word in, in the Greek means poem. We are God's masterpiece, his, his artistic poem that he has put out into the world. It's this beautiful picture of artwork that God has created. But now, 
He creates it to do something. He creates it to work. And so the gospel actually empowers us for all of our work. And the greatest work you will do is the work within you. It's the work within you. And that's why this year we we really want to focus in as a church, how do we actually work on our soul? How do we do the hard work of caring for us in our spiritual health and wholeness, right? And we want to focus in on three practices this year. They're really simple. Scripture, prayer, and Sabbath. Scripture, prayer, and Sabbath. And historically, these three have been essential, foundational to the spiritual formation of God's people. It's been these three that, that really move us forward in, in doing the work of soul care. And that's because, I mean, think about it, Scripture, right? This is God revealing to us our hearts, right? This is how God speaks to us to reveal to us our heart, but then also to give us the hope for our heart in the gospel. And then you go to prayer, and prayer is the way that God gives us to Share our hearts, to, to bear the burden of, of what it means to live in this fallen world. We're given the gift of prayer to, to pour out our hearts to God. And then Sabbath is where our hearts learn how to rest and trust that God really is in control, that He really does care for us. It's these three that work together, Scripture, prayer, and Sabbath, to bring about health in our hearts. And, and so we're going to offer a few opportunities this year. This is a shameless plug and commercial right here, but I, I want you to hear this for real. I mean, if you call me your pastor and you call this your church and, and you, you have taken vows for our, our uh, body to, to encourage one another and to spur each other on to good works, listen, we want you to be equipped this year. We want you to be equipped this year. And so we're going to be offering classes and seminars and opportunities for training and these kinds of things because we want to do this together. Right? There was a class that started just today on how to read the Bible. And we're going to give an overview of the Bible so you understand the big picture. And then we're going to give you the skills of how to do that, how to dig into particular texts and understand it for yourself. And, and so we want you to be at these things because this is the work. This is the work to care for your soul. And then we're going to offer trainings on prayer. Like, how do you actually have a prayer life? Not just talk about prayer or understand prayer or know the Bible verses about prayer, but how do you have a real living relationship with God? We want to talk about that. We want to equip you in that. And how do you have a real Sabbath? How, how do you stop the chaos of your week to slow down and rest in God? We want to, we want to talk about that. Right? But these things are, are going to be opportunities throughout the year as we work on this together, and listen, the, the spiritual practices are going to take just that. They're going to take practice. This is why I love the, the imagery of gardening that the Proverbs gives us here, because gardening is, is not uh, fast, it's slow, right? It's not instantaneous, it's, it's repetitive. It's not glorious and glamorous, it's, it's getting your hands dirty and digging around with worms and, and seeds, and you know, you're, you're, you're not doing something amazing and fantastic that you're going to be able to post about. But it's this slow, gradual growth that over time God bears fruit. And God begins to show you that this is how you nourish your soul. This is how over time you see Him work by His Spirit to bring about His purpose in you. But we have to come and show up to do the work. Right? Will you commit to that? This year, these practices, 
And the work, I mean, it's worth it, but our work yet isn't our ultimate hope, right? We need the work of another keeper. And this is the last part, the hope of the heart. Uh, I want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there with me or just hear this read. 1 Peter chapter 1 gives us an incredible uh, picture here of how God gives us hope for this. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, he says, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Here it is, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded or kept through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I love that because Peter is the most fascinating person to write this. Peter, if you know Peter's story, he, he's this strong man. He, he's the guy who was bold and courageous, and, and he worked harder than anybody else. He's a blue-collar fisherman who didn't take anything from anybody, right? He was this hard-working guy who, if anybody thought anybody had the strength in themselves to keep themselves for God, Peter could do it. And that's why everybody's shocked when Jesus, in the last moments of his life here, he, he says to Peter, hey, just to warn you, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, never. I'm never going to do that. There's no way I'll deny you. And then just hours later, Peter does, right? We all know the story. Peter goes away, and then he's confronted with who he's, he's associated with, and he denies Jesus once, denies him twice, and then denies him a third time. And the rooster crows, and he looks over and he sees Jesus because Peter's heart had failed him. It kind of reminds me of, of the largest or, or the most secure uh, fortress in the world, Fort Knox. It's located in the mountains of Kentucky, and, and it's estimated that Fort Knox has within it some $300 billion in gold, solid gold, sitting in Fort Knox. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, during World War II, they brought the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence there to keep it safe because they knew there was no other safest place in the world. And, and it's protected by these four-foot-thick granite walls. They're lined with cement, steel, and fireproof material. There's 30,000 soldiers and 300 tanks roaming around the outer perimeter. If somehow you made it to the front door, listen to this, there's 22 tons of explosion-proof material and multiple staff at the door to make sure you don't make it in. And this is only a fraction of what we even know. The real security of Fort Knox is the secrecy because no one knows what's inside. In fact, how hard is it to get in? No one knows because no one's even tried since it was built in 1935. It's Fort Knox. Now, listen, what if the greatest threat to Fort Knox wasn't on the outside, but it's already on the inside? What if the greatest threat, the, the inherent problem of our self-keeping, of our self-care, of our, our self-congratulating effort that we're trying to do, right? What, what if the greatest inherent problem is that the enemy and the keeper are the same person? The same person. Right? So in other words, the more we need to be kept, the weaker we are, the worse we are, the greater keeper we need, and we don't have that person. This is what Peter found out. Peter found out he was much weaker than he ever realized, and he didn't have what he thought he had in him. And decades later, after his failure, 
He writes to tell us of our living hope. But listen, he had found out that the hope wasn't in himself. It was somewhere else. This is why he says the hope is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being kept. There's no keeping unless God is keeping us. Do you hear that? There's no keeping unless God is keeping us. It's powerless to preach self-discipline and self-keeping and self-care unless we also preach Psalm 125, which says, The Lord is your keeper. That's what it says. He will keep us from all evil. He will keep us from every temptation. He will keep us from every suffering, from every uh, temptation, every issue. He is ready when we are unwilling. He will keep us when no progress is seen. He will keep us in every valley, every mountain. The Lord is your keeper. Not your attempts at self-improvement, not your strength and ability, not your faithfulness or discipline. The Lord alone is your keeper the keeper of your soul. It's by his power that we're kept. And this is why Jesus predicted Peter's fall, but he also said something to Peter right after that. Before he fell, this is what he says to Peter. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. See, Peter fell from depths or to depths that he never imagined. He did things that he never thought possible, but Jesus assured him, I am praying for you, Peter. No matter, how, uh, no matter what it looks like, how Satan has got you, how, how Satan desires you, Jesus was praying. No matter how foolish, Jesus was praying. No matter how hopeless, Jesus was praying. No matter what the failure may come, it won't be ultimate. Whatever sin may entangle, it won't win. Whatever fear may fill us, it won't defeat us. Because sin fails to win because Jesus intercedes. He intercedes. What Jesus is saying is he who is greater in you is greater than he who is in the world. Our faith is sustained on the prayers of our Savior. Right? I I wish I had somebody who was glad that Jesus is praying for you. This Jesus that we worship, that that we exalt. He he came and he died for us in our place. He he died on the cross to sacrifice for our sins. He suffered for us. But that wasn't the end of his work. When Jesus got up on the third day, he rose from the grave and he ascended to the Father. Where the Bible says he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since. He always lives to make intercession for us. Where is Jesus now? He's praying for you. He's praying for you. He's keeping you. He ever lives to make intercession for you. It's the joy of his life that he would keep you and pray for you. So that when you're down in the depths of sin, you know he's praying. When you're up on the mountain of success, you know he's praying. When you're stuck in the muck of every suffering and trial, you know he's praying. Because he's your keeper. He is your keeper. That's who he is. Do you need Jesus to keep you today? Because as you embark on this journey to try to cultivate these practices and to see your heart being kept in the grace of God, we know that we can't do it on our own. We can't do it unless God keeps us first. Remember, we work because he's already worked. And our work is is effective because of his work. And so as we trust in him and and we take him at that promise where he says, I will keep you. I'm praying for you. I'm interceding for you. 
I sympathize with you. I move towards you. I'm, I'm with you. I'm present with you. All of that is God saying, I'm your keeper. I'm your keeper. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that today as we come into this place and many of us find ourselves unkept. We find ourselves not able to, to fight and to, to do the work against the sin that dwells within us. And, and it can be discouraging and overwhelming. And so we turn to you knowing that ultimately our hope is not in ourselves, it's not in our disciplines, our practices, but it's you. The whole point of the practices is to get us to you, to get us to the one who keeps us, the one who loves us, who cherishes us, who guards us and protects us, knowing that what you began in us, you will bring to completion. And so God, we pray for our hearts, for our souls this year. As we do the work, we pray you would do a greater work. We pray that your spirit would bear fruit in us, in your people, for your glory.